remember the story that after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, that he then made his way into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan there. Um, After that time in the wilderness in which he put Satan in his place, he then emerged onto the scene and he was using the same refrain that John the baptizer had been using in his preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has come near. He called disciples in that moment and they responded to the urgency of this message. Peter and Andrew, James and John dropped what they were doing as fishermen and left their nets to immediately follow Jesus as Matthew tells the story. Jesus was proclaiming the good news and those who heard him were mesmerized. But the crowds began to gather on account of the way in which he was offering to those who were sick, to those who were afflicted with various diseases. And I'm reading from this passage just prior to the one that was read for us a moment ago. Those who had pains, those who were demoniacs, epileptics and paralytics, and he cured them and great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This passage of scripture that we do have before us today begins with the words, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. Everywhere else in the gospel tellings, we know that Jesus was finding this way in which to be available to those that were in need, but also to retreat to that place in which he could be blessed in close prayer with his heavenly father. And so it was often that he was going up to a hillside in order to pray and to retreat from the crowd. This is interesting here that it says when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. For these words to begin that section that we call the Sermon on the Mount, it's a little disconcerting because Jesus is retreating from the crowds. It appears here that he is going in order to find a place of prayer. And in fact, the first ones that show up are his disciples. And maybe it was the case that they were simply overhearing what was in Jesus' conversation with God, where he had meant it to be this private prayer. Some people read this as instructional. I think it's almost an overhearing of what Jesus had in his heart. For he had looked upon the multitudes, and what he said there was, so very hard, for not all were yet healed nor would be 
And yet as he looked into their lives and began to picture what God was doing through him, he looked with compassion toward the end of their stories. Rejoice and be glad, he says, finally, for your reward is great in heaven. These are beatitudes, as we are wont to call them, which is taken from the Latin, the fourth century translation from the Greek, where the word beate means to be rich, to be happy, to be thankful. Some of you know the name Evelyn Laycock. She was one of those quintessential teachers. She never considered herself a preacher. She was a devoted layperson who was very skilled in sharing her understandings of scripture. She called Lake Junaluska, that Methodist Mecca, her home. And she would often teach there at the Intentional Growth Center. But she also could often be found at Epworth by the Sea or in any number of campgrounds or churches across this great state of Georgia. And I can remember being on a retreat in which she was teaching these very words. And she said, we need to remember, she said, it wasn't always pronounced blessed. And in fact, it wasn't always pronounced blessed. Of course, this was spoken in the Aramaic as Jesus would have. But what is the meaning, she said, of the word blessed? What is it that Jesus was communicating? She said, I'll tell you what he was communicating. It was his way of saying, how utterly happy are the poor in spirit. How utterly happy are those who mourn. How utterly happy are those who are meek. How utterly happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's such a dichotomy because those two things don't seem to go together, do they? Happiness and poverty. Happiness and mourning. Happiness and even meekness. Happiness and those who hunger and thirst. These are diametrically opposed to each other. And yet Jesus was looking into the eyes of those that were hurting. And he was speaking such deep truth. This is not a call to action. We are overhearers of Jesus' observation. Jesus' discernment. And we must realize that Jesus is seeing people through the eyes of love and to them he gives his blessing. Let me say this again. Jesus sees people through the eyes of love and to them he gives his blessing. This has been a difficult weekend for me. Today's preaching on Sunday morning is sandwiched between 
a wedding in Warner Robins that I officiated at last night and then the funeral this afternoon of one whom I and you dearly loved. It is difficult not to have all of these thoughts and emotions mingled together here in the midst of this sermon. Yesterday, I was so moved that the young couple that was, that were taking on their vows of covenant in marriage made a specific request that during the service, before the bride's father gave her hand to her husband-to-be, that all of the family would come and gather in close and that even the attendants would move down from the steps upon which they were perched together in, in this tight circle right at the front of the sanctuary, right around me and right around them and laying hands on them and connecting this group allowed me the privilege of praying a blessing as we prepared our hearts for what was about to happen. It was absolutely moving that they would have thought this an important part of their service. They were looking through the eyes of love, not only at each other, but at those who were gathered around them as well. Have you ever asked yourself, how does God see the world? I can tell you, he sees the world compassionately, empathetically. He seeks to bless the world. A few Thanksgivings past, we were seated at the table with Sue's parents, Alec and Margaret, and a bounteous feast was waiting to be had. And Sue's mother looked across the table at me the young pastor that I was at that time, and she said, Bill, would you lead us in prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of blessing for this meal. And I was just about to start with what my daughters call a preacher prayer, and I was interrupted by my nephew across the table from me, who was only four years old, and he said, let me do it, let me do it. I'm a good blessinger. <laughs> and I looked up and I said to him, I said, yes, you are. And I, he, I said, you take over and you be the blessinger for this meal. And he began to pray a very simple prayer. But all of us were moved into the idea of who is it that does the blessing? I've always thought of that since that occurred. All of us are able to do the blessings of life. This discernment that Jesus has, this anointing of the world with the speaking of these words, especially these first four words, these beatitudes are meant to be a blessing, truly a blessing to the world. They don't have to be heard by those that are being blessed. 
in order them, for them to have their effect even. But Jesus is speaking these words in his heart as he witnesses the world around him. We say to ourselves, God so loved the world, and yes, God loved the world, all of the world. You may have said to someone before, God loves all of us the same. And I think, okay, I'm with you on that logic, on one level. But there is something that speaks so clearly in these Beatitudes that reveals, at least to me, the way I'm thinking right now, that God has this predisposition to those that are dispossessed and those that are abandoned and those that are hurting. God looks through Jesus, through the eyes of love, at those that are in need. And Jesus looks out and says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Even before the disciples were fully there by his side and as they wandered in and as Jesus was speaking his prayer, they heard him say, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And perhaps even others were gathering from the crowd who was constantly following Jesus wherever he went. And some heard that needed to hear, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice that things would be made right with life that is so wrong. And the crowd gathered in close to listen on as Jesus prayed. Those who mourn and those who are meek and those who are hungry and thirst need to know that God cares. The last four of the Beatitudes are meant for we particularly to hear. Those who have been called to follow Jesus and to be in service beside him. Those who were disciples of our Lord. For here, Jesus does look his disciples in the eyes and he says, Blessed are the merciful. And you know what it's like to receive mercy and I do pray that you know what it's like to give mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. And blessed are those who are pure in heart and this is far above what any of us could claim on our own. But if you're leaning, if you're tilting at least in that direction, Jesus smiles upon those who seek to be pure in heart. There's some people that just have this almost as a part of their being. Do you know someone like that? 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, not just the peaceful, but those who seek to live out life so that it projects peace into the world. We who live in a world that is so filled with language that divides and devours. We who live in a culture that has become satiated with innuendo and with damaging remarks. We who live in a world who must choose Will we allow this to represent the larger picture of who we are? Jesus' discernment is astounding. His focusing in on his disciples, it may have startled them. In fact, I most certainly believe that it did when he began to say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for they could not conceive that they would be persecuted. They couldn't even perceive that Jesus would be persecuted. This was Jesus. This was the Messiah. And then Jesus says, again, looking directly into their eyes, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. We are called to be blessingers in the likeness of Jesus. Oh, there's a list of things that we can do to get our lives in better connection with Christ that follows these words through Jesus' preaching. But in the beginning of these thoughts that we call the Sermon on the Mount, do you hear the heart of Christ? And do you get a picture of how he is looking at the world. Jesus' concern is for those who are so burdened, those that are struggling with life. And I ask you, are we concerned to, do we look with judgment or do we ignore or do we look with compassion and empathy upon those that are in need? I suspect again this year that I will be called on 
to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. There's no young nephew around to interrupt me this time. I will speak words again that my daughters would say, that's a preacher prayer. But there is a silent prayer that will be going on in my heart because of the reading of these words. A silent prayer. Will you be praying it with me? Jesus, teach me to see the world as you see it. Jesus, teach me to see the world as you do.